Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues Podcast. This week on our panel, we have John Epperson. Hello, everyone. Valentino Soul. Hey, now. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and we've got a special guest today. That is uh, Hillary Stowes Krause. I hope I said that right. You did, and also I'm very used to it being said wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being patient with us. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are and why you're world famous. <laughs> I can try. Uh, so yeah, I'm Hillary Soskarzi. I'm a co-owner and VP at 10 Forward Consulting. We're a Ruby and Rails dev shop based in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm one of those weirdo extroverts who loves talking to strangers. So I got into doing conference talks and mm-hmm. just kind of have really kept going with that and really find a find it to be really rewarding. Very cool. Well, you gave a talk at RubyConf Mini. You talked about, uh, tr- uh, I can't talk, salary transparency. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's an interesting topic. I don't know that we want to rehash the talk, but I'm sure we will go over some of the things you talked about. Do you want to just give us kind of the 10,000-foot view, what you talked about, and some of the takeaways, and then we can expand on it from there? Yeah, definitely. So the impetus for this talk was actually a different conference talk on salary transparency that I saw at uh, Right Speed Code, I want to say in 2017. Uh-huh. And she kind of walked through how her company had instituted salary transparency, specifically wage transparency, and how it impacted salaries for different communities within the organization. So women, people of color, disabled folks, things like that. Right. And the way that she talked about it made it seem like it would be really straightforward. And I thought, well, why aren't we doing this, right? We're a small company. We're primarily developers. We already have a lot of the infrastructure that was necessary. And I can you know, talk about that later mm-hmm. if we're interested. So we did. <laughs> and overall, it went well. Uh, definitely some growing pains, things I would do differently. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as salary transparency as a topic has become a lot more like present in the world. I mean, thinking at the the EU, you know, in 2021, they passed this EU transparency directive, which is going to address a whole bunch of different areas of salary transparency across the EU. I think there were three or four states in the US who passed in just this year, approved um, certain salary transparency regulations at the state level. So it's just, it's something where even if you don't have a particular interest in it, companies are going to have to, st- more and more companies are going to have to start paying attention because it's it's going to be required by law. So it seemed like a good opportunity to dive into this topic and look at not just why are people interested in salary transparency? Why does it matter? And, you know, what are the different types of it? But also looking at our experience at 10 Forward, you know, what are some of the pitfalls and how can you preemptively address them to have an experience implementing salary transparency that goes smoothly? Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've I've seen this in a couple of different ways. Um, I've seen companies implode when they implemented it. I've seen companies, you know, where everybody kind of looked at each other and said, "Okay, we're going to figure this out," and they did, right? Because some people were making more than others, and it was easier to justify some of it than others. Um, I also ran for school board, and in the in the public sector, a lot of this stuff is public, mm-hmm. right? And so that, you know, that's another interesting take is to see how it works there. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating too, just from the standpoint of, I think I see a lot of people argue back and forth, do female programmers actually 
realistically make less than male programmers or, you know, uh, people who are of certain ethnic groups, you know. And, and so it's, it's interesting to look at from that standpoint, because a lot of these numbers on, are unknowable. And I've actually worked for companies that told me that my salary was a trade secret. Yeah. You know, and so. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know. and there's interesting things, too, because, you know, in the states, the federal regulations require employees are allowed to talk about their salary with other employees if it's mm-hmm. not on company time. Right. Um, and not a lot of people know that. And also there are there are folks who will try to get around that. So you mentioned yours being called like a trade secret. You know, I have a friend who does contract data analysis and she's been told on freelance gigs, like, oh, you are not allowed to talk about your salary with any other contractors, you know, like this. And and they try to argue, oh, we're exempt from this regulation and I'm not a lawyer. So I don't know if that's true, but you know, it's, it's never as, as cut and dry, I think, as we, as we want things like this to be. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, I'm kind of curious just what your story is as you implemented this. And then I think we can talk through maybe some of the other implications as they come up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the main reasons that I wanted to do it were... So at the time, so now I'm now I'm a, a co-owner, but at the time I was just a developer. And so I think it's interesting looking at it too from sort of both sides. So the person whose salary would have been... Where it would have mostly impacted me to have my salary you know, public versus mm-hmm. like looking at it from a company perspective. So as a developer, one of the main reasons I wanted this was we already had sort of, we, we had, everyone already knew the range of salary for everyone else at the company. Right. Because we have a sort of career progression doc that's super detailed. And it has a range for each like rank within the company. So it didn't seem like that much bigger of a leap. And looking at the data, you know, even then, you know, five, six years ago before there had been a lot of this momentum that we've been seeing in the last couple of years, there, there's a lot of sort of documented benefit to people knowing how much money they made in terms of retention, in terms of, um, you know, feeling like there's equity, like there could be equity, but if you don't know that, that salaries are, are based on, on, you know, an equal sort of footing, you're just going to wonder. And I think especially for women and people of color who historically have been underpaid. Um, and I have a lot of really interesting data about that too, if we want to look at that at some point. But basically, there's there's all this data that shows that people want to understand where the number that is their salary comes from. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ways you can get at that. But you know, again, being a small company, primarily being women and people of color, especially at that time, it just sort of seemed like, well, yeah, if this if having salary transparency has been shown to benefit women, people of color, and we're primarily women and people of color, well, why wouldn't we want this? You know. And, uh, and I brought the idea back to the then, you know, owners and pitched it. And I said, here's why I want this. Here's what it would entail. Here's how we could do it. And after a few conversations, they were like, yeah, why not? Again, we already have the ranges. This doesn't seem like that big of a step. Um, well, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, looking back, it's like, it's interesting because there, there's sort of what seems like contradictory data, right? When they pull people about salary transparency. And a majority of people do want to have salaries shared, you know, by paying department. And a majority don't want their salary to be shared. So it's this sort of, <laughs> this sort of I... classic battle we're fighting, right? <laughs> and it's, it's probably not surprising when we think about that, right? Like we want to know that 
that we're being paid fairly and we want to keep our data private. And I think that's especially true in capitalist countries. But honestly, I've looked at studies um, and polls about this from, from all over the world, and it's, it's pretty consistent. You know, I think the reasons why vary by culture, right? Sometimes it's, it's capitalist where a lot of like our sense of value in society is based on our job and how much money we make. Um, other places, it's that, you know, you just don't talk about money or money is viewed as a collective thing within a family, you know. So the, the reasons why we're reticent to talk about it or have it be shared, you know, vary, but we're all, we're all a little, we all feel some discomfort around that by and large. Um, and I did expect some of this. What surprised me was where it came from and, and really not where it came from, but why. So I assumed going into this, okay, well, we, we're mostly developers. We do have a couple of like support positions um, and the people in those positions at the time were lower entry. So th- their salaries were just lower. They were the lowest paid on the team. And I expected that they would resist that because they wouldn't want to feel because they, 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 because they didn't make as much, right? And be like, oh, well, great. So everyone's going to know. Everyone makes more, you know. But it turned out that the, the one person who resisted this, it wasn't because they felt that they deserved more money you know, because we'd been very like, here's the range, right? This is why, where this number comes from. This is how we calculate this, whatever. This is what the growth could look like in this, in this um, job. But it was because they felt everyone else who made more was going to lose respect for them when they saw how much money they made. Oh, interesting. Right. Which I, in hindsight now, I'm like, well, yeah, of course, because again, our values tied up in how much money we make, but it just hadn't really occurred to me, especially because I was on the developer track, right? I was in that, that, you know, higher salary echelon of the company. Um, and so that was really the the big thing. Um, some of the the other parts that we kind of had to figure out as we went along were like, how do we keep track of all this, right? When someone gets a promotion, when someone gets a raise, like how, how do we make sure that data gets updated? How do people access the data? What kind of data do we include, right? Is it just their current pay? Is it their pay and their vacation? Because vacation is negotiable at our company. You know, is it how do we handle it for salespeople who have like a commission based structure? Like, so, and, and a lot of that is like, it's, it's not the, the primary thing, but it is important and it's important for supporting and getting buy in for having salary transparency. So some of that we're still figuring out as we go. Um, I think, I think the, the feedback overall though, cause we've had this in place now for what, three or four years and current staff, are all very supportive of it and like it. And actually, we've had when we have new hires, you know, we're always tell them at the beginning, like, hey, just so you know, we have internal salary transparency. Here's what that means. Here's what that looks like. This is why. Um, and we also um, put that in our job postings that we have internal salary transparency as sort of like a like a company benefit. And people have mentioned many times in interviews that that's one of the reasons that like that helped convince them to apply. They're like, I love that you have that. That makes me feel confident that you know I'm going to be paid fairly. And so really, it's it's turned into somewhat of a recruiting tool, which I also did not expect when we first did it. Oh, my gosh. I have, like, so many questions right now. <laughs> no, right? So, uh, uh, I, and I, I know, I just heard Valentino click his button. So I know that Valentino has questions, too. Um, uh, my first question, uh, coming from the perspective, also, as a small uh, consultancy owner, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, we don't have this problem on our table at the moment because, you know, we have a third employee 
And so we're pretty transparent between the three of us, you know, mm-hmm. or, I'm sorry, we have a third person who is an employee. And so like, there's very little neat, you know, we, we don't have to worry about this right now. We don't have multiple employees mm-hmm. who are wondering how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a discussion that, that my uh, partner and I have repeatedly had because for me, like I, I recognize one of the things you said, because uh, one of the things that started me down this road in the very first place was uh, when I was a developer and I was in, you know, with another developer, you know, we basically worked on this huge project and we were sitting in the room with the CEO and he basically was like, well, why should I like care what you have to say? He's like, you're only getting paid. Uh, like I was getting paid like 80 then. And he was like, and he was like expecting like developer salaries to be like at a hundred. And, you know, up until this point in my career, I'd just been like, yeah, I'm just going to take whatever I need to live. Right. That's it. And this was the first time that I'd ever considered the fact that somebody might disrespect me because I wasn't, didn't, wasn't making enough money. And, uh, from then on, like I went to my next job and they were like, well, how much did you make at your last job? I was like, I want to make market value. And I just like insisted on it until, you know, so I like jumped straight to like 125, right? Because I was just like, I have to get up to the market now. Cause apparently that's important. Right. Um, and, um, you know, between that and sorry, I'm almost done with context. I swear. Um, and between that and like, I don't remember who I was listening to is somebody on when it used to be called the Ruby Freelancers podcast. It's mm-hmm. now the Freelancers podcast or whatever. But somebody on there, uh, they said something. Actually, they might have been on Ruby. I don't remember. I listened to a few podcasts at the time, but they convinced me <laughs> that every single job you should negotiate something, even even if you're not negotiating salary, even if it's completely worthless. Just you start out from the very beginning negotiating something. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And, and I've done that ever since, and I felt really good about it ever since, right? And so, like, I have been a negotiator ever since, and I feel like my salary is up. So I feel I've come from there. So I understand that reasoning. But the thing that we kind of ran into when we were talking with our third person, when we were like, hey, we're probably going to do this, like, how you're feeling, they're like, well, I don't want to feel like there's too much pressure on me if I, you know, have too high of a salary, right? And somebody comes in and, you know, so... It, it was kind of nebulous and it was an interesting perspective, but that was theirs. And so uh, I guess I'm kind of curious because you expressed, hey, we only really had trouble with like one person, their perspective, you know, and everybody who's coming on seems to be self-selecting for, hey, I want to join a team that has this internal transparency issue. Do you feel like, have you encountered like new problems after or like, I mean, that was already surprising for you, but like, have you run into like problems where, um, like, I mean, I, I, I guess from a business owner perspective, the thing that I feel like is most likely to be a problem for me is I'm hiring somebody on. And so I'm going to have to pay them more, which means that my prices are automatically going to have to be higher, which isn't really that much of a problem, mm-hmm. but it definitely, I feel like it means that I must go that direction. I can't, I can't go the cheaper side because I'm going to have open, you know, salaries and people are going to have higher salaries Therefore, Yeah. So there's, I have so many thoughts on this. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. So this is another one of those ones that, that seems like it might be contradictory, but I think it goes to the heart that, so they did this big study because so many people are looking to quit, right? I think it was like, 75%, I'm looking to see if I can, if I have written down. Oh, 73% of US tech workers are considering quitting in the next 12 months. 73%. I mean, and so then the question obviously is like, well, why? It's a rough industry. 
Right. Why are they Sorry. thinking of quitting? You know, um, and there's a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, people mentioned childcare, wanting more flexibility, but the main reasons that people cited as their top reason. So if you had to pick one reason you're thinking of quitting, which one is the most important to you? They said low pay, lack of advancement opportunities, and feeling disrespected at work. And so if we're looking at the the like Oh sorry, killer, I forgot to act shocked. <laughs> right, but I think I think a lot of people assume assume that it's, you know, there's so many companies that like, oh, everyone's quit because we won't let them go remote. And it's like, well, no, that's one factor, but it's not the factor, right? It's um, the way you company, handled it. It's the way you handled uh, it, right. And I and it's the, to, the it's the transparency. Because they were having trouble with something else in life too. Yeah. Go right. Ahead, when you think about the the benefits companies offer, like, oh yeah, well, we give them lunch every day. And it's like, okay, again, not what people <laughs> what care the most about. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but then when I you look at what people do meat. care about, well, uh, I'm vegetarian, but okay. it's good food. <laughs> if it's good food, period. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but I do think it's interesting. Uh so lower pay was one of the big ones, right? I mean, a, a kind of a duh, right? We're working to right. make money. Um, but 82% of people said they would be satisfied with lower pay if how that pay yeah. was, how that number was arrived at was communicated clearly. And we have found this to be the case. So for example, we hired a junior developer and it was his first professional job. He'd gone to a boot camp, um, never worked in tech before, but had a lot of friends who were developers. Mm-hmm. And was getting a lot of advice. Some of it was good. Some of it was good for them, but not necessarily appropriate for him. Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing we do too is we always have the salary range posted with the job, which is another type of salary transparency that actually is starting to become more regulated. You can't post a job unless you have... This is true in Colorado. I think there are a couple of other places. So people applying for those jobs already know what their range is. So they can, again, self-select out at the beginning if they're like, no, I really want to make XYZ. Um you know, that's my baseline. Like this job just isn't for me. Great. You know, so we had the range posted. And one thing we always do before we make an offer letter is we have what I call like a pre-negotiation meeting. So, you know, John, you were mentoring, mentioning that you've, um, were told always negotiate, always negotiate. And I do think generally that is great advice. Like before I was in tech, that was, I always did that too. Always negotiate. Um, the issue with that is that there are people who are never going to be good at that yep. and never going to feel comfortable with that, right? And so so inherently, you're building... And if, if you're relying on negotiation as a tactic, you're inherently going to have unequal pay structures. It's just going to happen. This is so, the difference between advice that's good for you personally <laughs> that you right? should just uh-huh. do because it makes your life better and, mm-hmm. and general advice that everyone out there should take. To I'm everyone. 100%... Exactly. I, you, just to be clear, I'm not saying that we should all learn how to negotiate. <laughs> I am saying that you, if you have the capability right now, the way the world works, it will make your life better. And you oh, yeah. Well, and I, and I do think negotiation generally is a good skill, even if it's not for salary, right? Like, we should all well, be able we, to negotiate. But we life. should be working to matter, make the world a better place for tomorrow. Right. I, exactly. Right. So I'm I think it's like, well, negotiate now because that is currently the most effective tactic for most people. And well, and I'm not and entirely uncomfortable with the idea that you negotiate and you do wind up with these slightly different pay scales for people. But typically, if you're going to negotiate, you have to make the case, right? You have to make the case why you deserve more than what they're offering or that's you true. Know, I uh, understand think... where they're coming from. So it's, sure. it's not just, hey, you know, I asked more 
forcefully or better than you did. But, you know, it's... Well, I made but if it depends on the company, there are definitely places That's where fair. Squeaky Wheel is going to get the cheese. Uh-huh. So And the variance is probably be the squeaky too large wheel. and... Things but like not that. everyone can be the squeaky wheel. If we're looking, especially if you're like a, if you're a disabled woman of color, for example, you are inherently going to be viewed as combative. At, at again, speaking very broadly, right? Not every company, but speaking very broadly, the way that you're going to be perceived, even if you said the exact same words with the exact same tone, as like a straight white gentleman, right? It's it's just not going to get you the same outcome, broadly speaking. So keeping this in mind and thinking like, and I think part of it too is like, what are our company values, right? And for us, it's like, A, we want to make money <laughs> because we are a company, right? Mm-hmm. That's probably um, good. And we want, to, we want to have happy, satisfying employees. And also part of that makes us money, right? Because having to hire people is super expensive. They say it's what, what up to six months of the person's salary to replace them depending on the role. It's a shit ton of money. Yeah. Um, I would rather like, Pay someone a little more because it's going to be cheaper in the long run than if have to rehire them because they decided to quit because they were unhappy with their salary. So, and I think that really starts at the beginning. And so we have this pre-negotiation meeting where we decide as a as a team, you know, like or as leaders, like okay, based on this candidate's experience and their skills and what they're bringing to the table, et cetera, like what do we think is a fair wage? And then we talk to them, and I ask them first two things. I say, what is your ideal salary? So like the one that would make you like ecstatic. You're like, yes, this is in an ideal world. I'd be paid this much with this much vacation. And then what is the minimum you're happy with? And I say, I asked those two for a reason because we'd love to give you your ideal. It's not always in the cards. But I don't want you to... I'm not asking like, what's the minimum you'll accept? Because I don't want you to accept a salary that's going to make you feel resentful. So like, what's the minimum you would actually be happy with? And if the minimum they're happy with is higher than we want to pay them, then it's time to just end the negotiation, right? Because it's just not, we're not going to get anywhere. Um, I take that information and then I also ask, okay, how much do you want to, you know, here's our default vacation, here's our default sick time. Do you want to tweak any of those and as part of your compensation package? Take all of that information, recalculate, and then come up with an offer letter. And then we present the offer letter at a meeting as well. And I say, hey, here's what our offer is. Here's how we got to this number. Like there's this range. These are the criteria. Here's an area we think that, you know, you need to do some more growth before you can get to this level. Or like, this is a part that we're super excited about. You know, just being very transparent about like, this is how we arrived at these numbers and why we think it's a good offer. And when we do that, let's see, I don't know. I really have the stats. I don't know how many people we've hired in the last like four years since we've started doing this, but I think maybe one person ultimately did not accept the offer letter as was. And that was because they decided to move. Um, I believe they were moving to Japan to be with their partner. <laughs> so kind of a different reason. But when we do that, like every... And th- this was true with this junior that I mentioned. His you know, friends were, were really pushing him to commit at a much higher number than we thought was appropriate for the level of experience he had. And that was, again, based on... you know They had college degrees. They'd been working in tech. They were working for some of the bigger companies in Madison. Google, Zendesk, Epic. So we just sat down and I explained all of that, right? And I was like, look, here's where those numbers are coming from. You know, there's there's a lot of really high paying tech jobs in Madison. And if that's the job that you're super interested in, like, I'm happy to help you make connections. We're not that kind of company. We also like offer different benefits. Like you're never going to work more than 40 hours a week. <laughs> and you're going right. to get lots of mentoring and you're going to, you know. Um, and through the course of that conversation, he ended up being, you know, he basically was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I totally understand what you're saying. Like, thank you for explaining it. And 
was happy with a number that was much lower than the one he was originally thinking of because he understood where it was coming from. Right. And we also had those structures in place where I could honestly tell him, hey, we give, you know, we don't do annual performance reviews. We do them quarterly. We have clear, you know, this document that shows exactly how you can get to the next level. You know, I could tell him I started as an intern. Once I became a junior dev full time, my first raise was six months later. And then, you know, now I'm an owner, right? Like we have a clear history of like paying people what they're worth and having it be an ongoing conversation that's collaborative. Um, and we've never had someone leave because they weren't making enough money. So I think that kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, I think a lot of the upfront that you're talking about, the upfront work you're doing, that makes a lot of sense because somebody comes in and they know what to expect. And and you've got those clear guidelines. And I mean, that that was one thing that I've seen people leave is, yeah, it's like, well, you know, they haven't given me a raise in two years and I don't know if they ever will. And it's because they don't really have a way of, of, of managing that. In mm-hmm. fact, um, I worked at a, a large company, a uh, financial company, and they were promising raises and never quite got around to them. And people were bailing out, right? Because the communication on that was just awful. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm a little curious as you implement this. I think a lot of companies, they're going to get hung up on the, okay, well, if we open this up and let people see what people are making, now I've got to justify why John is making more than Jane or Jane is making more than John. Um, Just to give you an example here, and this this goes way back, but uh, I was managing the, the tech support team for a company that I was working for about, what, 17 years ago? And um, we'd hired these couple of guys and they had been doing terrific work, hired a whole bunch more people. But when we hired those whole, whole bunch more people, um, they had basically hired somebody to be my boss and, and do a bunch of other stuff too, right? It wasn't just his job to manage me, but um, he hired them and he set their pay. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that the people that he hired, if he liked them more, he gave them a higher pay rate. And then he, he, these guys wound up finding the pay stub of the, you know, one of these people who had not been there as long and really wasn't any more qualified than they were. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it creates these issues, right? Now he lied to them too and told them that he wasn't making more. And so that was another issue too. But the, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, you know, if I'm making at the bottom of the scale and you're making at the top of the scale and I don't see you doing anything that I'm not doing, then yeah. How do you avoid yes. those issues? Yeah, I think, <laughs> and this, this might sound flippant, flippant and it's not intended to, but I think the issue is not necessarily transparency. It's that he was using shitty math to pay people. Yeah, right? fair. And, and, and in that example, yeah, and in that example, they found out even without official salary transparency. Yeah. Right? And, and again, like in the States... Um, and this I actually thought that this would be more true other places. It's one of those things you assume because, oh, it's true here. It's just true everywhere. Um, but I believe it's, is it Australia? There are definitely countries where like you are forbidden from talking about your pay. Whereas we have, we, we have it, you are, you are, it's, it's legally protected to talk about your pay. And so even if you don't do it deliberately as a company policy, there is nothing to prevent people from finding out anyway. Yeah. Um, and so I think the, the key there is, and we did this too, you know, before we went, went public, like we were, we were pretty sure that our, our pay was equitable because again, we had the ranges, we had the, you know, Mm -hmm. some of these other systems already in place, but I definitely recommend before companies do this, they do a pay audit 
And, you know, one statistic that I read when I was researching for this talk is more than 80% of specifically US employers who undertook pay equity audits found equity gaps. And those are people who likely, you know, some of them, it was probably court mandated that they do this because of a lawsuit or something. But a lot of these were probably self-selecting into doing these audits. And so this is people who are already concerned about it, who are doing shitty at it. So imagine how much worse it is for companies who aren't paying attention and don't care. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the best way to prevent that kind of blowback when implementing salary transparency is to make sure that it is fair and you can explain where those numbers came from um, so that when someone does have a grievance and, you know, there are always people who are going to think who who don't have a good assessment of their own skills, <laughs> who will always think that they should be paid more. And there's not a whole lot you can do about that other than say, if you want to get to this next level, here is exactly how you can do that. Gotcha. And that's the hard part, right? You know, again, like, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, this is so easy. We should all be doing it because it takes a lot of upfront work. Um, and, you know, I think, and I, I made this argument in, in the talk I gave at RubyConf Mini, and as there are more and more and more regulations around this, some of this inevitably we're going to have to do anyway. So you, it, you can either do the work now and be ahead of the curve and be prepared for it, or you can wait until it's legislated and then try to play catch up. As an employee, the only person you're hurting is yourself when you're not talking about your salary with your coworkers. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so easy to, uh, you know, to just be clueless and just accept whatever, you know, especially if early on in your career. Mm-hmm. But even as you grow, like you're kind of setting your base expectations as you start, right? Uh, and unless you're talking and getting feedback from what is happening around you, like you have nothing to compare against. And I mean, you can get all the data you want, but unless you have it in the context that you're working in, you're not going to really get a good sense for, uh, you know, whether you're getting paid fairly or not. And, you know, as a white man, I definitely take, you know, I, I take it for granted that, you know, I probably don't have to worry as much as some other, you know, coworkers. Uh, about the discrepancies that may come up, you know, um, and it's unfortunate, but like, like you said, you can look at the data and find that, you know, that's the fact. And, you know, if you're, you know, if you're not talking with your coworkers to find out, uh, you know, whether or not that is true at your company, you know, how do you know your company is only going to give you a rhetoric of, okay, well, we've gotten the research typically as a big company, they'll go to some third party and say, okay, here's how you compare across other industries. But like, mm-hmm. you know, how does it compare within your company, you know, is is another, a whole other picture, right? So mm-hmm. e- even well, if you get a baseline across the industry, like it's still not re- completely realistic, right? Right. Especially in tech where like, you know, senior at one company is very different than senior at another. Right. And there's just no way to do a direct comparison, really. One, well, and I, I do want to stress too that like, I do think a lot of, the the discrepancies that we can see if we're looking especially at, you know, um, race or ethnicity or gender, you know, I do think most, I would argue most of that is unintentional, mm-hmm. right? Or it's, it's bad actors. And that's why I think having salary transparency is so great because it does force you to, it doesn't let you get away accidentally or unintentionally or unknowingly with some of those biases, right? Because you have formulas, you have data, you're 
you're making decisions based on actual criteria instead of kind of like, you know, you were saying your former manager like that, he liked them better or was a gut feeling or whatever, you know? Um, so I, I really just, you know, I, 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 apart from implementation and then maybe record keeping, which I think, you know, like I said, we're still trying to figure out how to do some of that better. Um, I really struggle to see a lot of downsides to it, to be honest. I just wanted to agree with you briefly. I think most of the salary decisions that you're seeing, if you're seeing a discrepancy, you know, the, the, each of those salaries are set one by one as they hire people. Everybody gets kind of the same cost of living raise. Occasionally somebody will really stand out and get a promotion or some kind of um, larger raise. But yeah, I don't think anybody or most most of the time, the vast majority of the time, I think that's how it goes. And so if you see a salary discrepancy, it just it was just kind of the process and nobody really looked at it to say, hey, is this actually fair? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. But we should be, you know, and think that's the key. Yeah. At the at the end of the day. Right. Like, I think it's important to remember um, that as a company. Right. You're you're goal is to make money, right? And Mm -hmm. so one of the things that you are incentivized to do is reduce your labor costs, right? And so at the end of the day, like a company will always, I mean, even as like a good intentioned company, right? You're still like, how am I going to make this math work? You know, how am Mm -hmm. I going to make profit, right? Like, so, you know, you, yeah, I would love to just, you know, give people money. That's great. But at the end of the day, I also know that if we don't make profit, then we go out of business and then they won't be making any money next year. Right. Right. Yeah. So like there's there's a balance to that and getting it right sure. is it is harder for small companies than it is for very big companies. Mm-hmm. Um because small small differences in number impact smaller companies a lot more, right? Right. And you um, have fewer levels, which I think when you have like, okay, so we mm-hmm. have, you know, I'm just making this up, but like developer one, two, and three. Great. Sure. That's you can set a structure on that. When you have like one intern and one admin assistant and one senior, it, it's a lot harder to do that kind of structure. Yeah. Um, um it but the the kind of point here is that at the end of the day, the company is incentivized to lower your or keep your salary as low as it possibly can. Um doing that in a fair and like like, like making sure that the comp, like the company, I mean, I feel like a company should posture itself so that it's making sure that it's paying you fairly while still like not trying to, you know, put itself out of business. But it's, it's a balanced thing. And at the end of the day, a company is always going to try to keep your salary lower. And you are, um, I mean, I agree that like the fairness thing, like, I'm sorry. I agree that like equitability across the board is like a good thing for uh, society at large, us individually, um, things like this. Um, but I think it's also important to recognize that like the company is going to try to keep that lower, and you know, we, it is what it is. Um, well, I think there's for a key me, thing. I feel you... like oh, go ahead. I was gonna say for me, I feel like the big problem isn't necessarily. Uh, around negotiation, it's around the fact that like the companies that are going to like put up the most stink for this are going to be like the companies that like, for example, like Chuck was describing, um, have other problems going on, communication problems, dishonesty problems, like um, because right in order to in order to satisfy this sort of new order, right now they've got to like collect all that data, put it all out there, and that's going to shine a light on all the crap that already has happened 
that's a lot of extra work for all the managers who are the people who perpetuated all that bad stuff. Like no one wants to volunteer to go shine a light on their own bad shit. Right. I mean, I think that's the reason that the federal government is involved in a lot of these companies that aren't doing that right. Like Google, like there's a reason that it's at the federal level forcing this to happen because you're, they're not going to do it themselves. I do, I do want to touch on one thing you said. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to touch on one large, one thing you said, you said a company is incentivized to keep its salaries low. You also at one point said labor costs. And I I do think those are distinct (laughs) because I would argue that labor costs are more than salary. To me, Mm. labor costs includes the cost of hiring, the cost of replacing people, um, having more productive, more talented people who are going to then do a better product, make you more money, all of that. And so I think, yes, you're incentivized to keep your labor costs low. And I would argue that keeping salaries lower is not necessarily correlated with keeping labor costs low because you have these costs of replacing people you lose the you know you're going to lose out on some folks who either correctly or incorrectly think their salary is not where it should be because there isn't transparency around it around the process um and you know we saw 82 percent of people are cool with a lower pay if they know where it came from so we know that the most money is not the most important thing when it comes to salary again Broadly, there are some people who are yeah. just like, no, I want to make more money. That's the only thing I care about. But they're an outlier. So, I was well, not they're an outlier, I, outlier for six months and then they're miserable and they change their mind. Yeah, we were, we were like, ed, we're edging on this. And I was like, kind of trying not to like peel back the scan all the way. And, and I do apologize because I, I, yes, I use those terms interchangeably. And, and I do think of those things distinctly, but I was totally just not doing that. Um because like one of the one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I thought I think is like really important um, that I uh, that is not really very well talked about in general, much less like in data and things like this is like, how do you quantify, for example, the value of your um, uh, your perks and things like this? Right. And, you know, for mm-hmm. example, my partner and like my closest friend happens to be an accountant. Right. And so like part of the reason why we went into business together. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like one of the things that like long before we went into business together, like I did with him is whenever I was thinking about accepting offers, I would come back and we would quantify like what what all these perks were that I was, you know, comparing on the table, right? Because you're comparing different salary rates and, you know, different amounts of vacation and uh, your healthcare, you know, and all these, all these, you know, some of these things were like really hard to math, like, you know, what really is the cost of me working from home, you know, versus being in office, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So, you know, putting those into a number is, you know, you can come up with a general number, but it's also person specific, right? Like different people are going to value, for example, working from home at a, you know, a different rate. So, yes. Um, and like, we, we did, oh, that ahead. makes it tough. Go ahead. Yeah. And we did think about this because we thought, you know, we, we've had vacation be a negotiable, bene- negotiable benefit for a long time. So one of my first raises at the company just doubled my vacation because we were a little low on funds at the time. I didn't know this at the time, of course. They didn't tell me that, but they were just like, hey, we think you're doing great and deserve a raise. How do you feel about more vacation? And I was like, excellent. I feel excellent about that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and that's Disneyland. one of those things where... <laughs> I mean, yeah, and you know, and we've talked about, should we do um, 
unlimited vacation. I have a lot. I could do a whole podcast about how much I think that's a shitty idea. Um, that that's a complete <laughs> complete other one. But yeah. you know, we Thanks. and part, but the main reason we didn't reason to bring it up is the reason we didn't do that is because it to your point, people value vacation differently. So one of the other owners just has the default two weeks that we require everyone have at least two weeks. They have never bothered to get more because they don't even use their two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, when you look at our transparency spreadsheet, our total package comes out to be roughly the same. It's within like a thousand dollars or something. Um, but I have five weeks of vacation and he has two. And so his base salary is higher than mine because then when you, and we have the formula on that spreadsheet so anyone can see how we are at the final numbers. So you can see that like we have created our packages differently, but they come out to the same total value. And so that's really the number that we work with when we're working with hiring or raises is like we're looking at that total compensation package value. We considered whether or not we should put um, things like healthcare in, right? We pay 75% of premiums. We do that whether you're single with a partner or family, 75%, 75% for everybody. Um, obviously, the total cost for like what the other owners has a family like if his family was on the plan that's a much higher value if you look at the direct cost than for me as a single person it's extremely expensive it's extremely different right yeah we ultimately decided not to because we didn't want people to feel disincentivized to getting health care because they thought they could pocket the money instead and there's arguments to be made for sure. Like there are definitely reasonable arguments to be made for doing it one way or the other. You could say that the way we're doing it is kind of patronizing. Maybe it is. <laughs> you know, there's no perfect way. That's the way we decided to do it. And I think, again, just being very upfront about that, right? So we tell everyone, here are all the benefits that are included. You know, you can choose to or to not use some of these or employ some of these, but that's just that's just not factored into your total compensation. If they want to factor that in, we can, you know, we're happy to provide these specific numbers. So if they're like, hey, I'm really trying to compare two jobs, could you give me information on what my premium would probably be? Yeah, we could do that, you know. Um, it's yeah, there's a there's a lot of ways to approach it. And I think a big thing is figuring out like what's gonna make sense for your individual situation, you know, in the case of a small business owner, your individual situation. Um, what do your employees care about? You know, if we had if all of our employees were suddenly like, hey. None of us are on, you know, if they're all getting their spouses or something, like none of us are using the family, you know, the the company health insurance, like, can we can we get a boost instead on our salaries? I, I don't know, we'd consider it at the very least. Um, so I think really it's just it's just having those open conversations so that people know where the numbers are coming from, how they were arrived at, and the why behind it. And I think that's really important too, is why did we decide to do it this way? I, I love this idea of an equation, right? And I, I remember uh, seeing Buffer, the company, mm-hmm. when they first made their salaries transparent. Uh, it was an equation, you know, and it, they gave you the equation and you could figure out pretty much anybody's salary if you put in all the inputs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've loved seeing kind of how this is taken. Uh, you know, even a, as an example, Shopify, uh, you can, as a, an employee, you can go in and adjust uh, how you get benefits. So if you want more stock, you can give yourself more stock. If you want uh, more salary, you know, then stock or, or something like that. Uh, and you can kind of adjust kind of the pieces of the equation. And it's kind of interesting to see how this plays out, right? Like, uh, because I love the idea of, you know, the whole point of, of making it transparent is that, uh, you know, everybody, you know what the expectations are, right? Like, it's not like you're just like, okay, like, am I making enough money? You're like, well, let me figure it out. Like, 
I'm at least making what the equation says, you know? And so uh, I feel like that is a step in the right direction, <laughs> right? Like uh, there's still the, you know, the market valuation problem, right? Which I still don't think is anywhere near solved, right? Because of geography and remote work. Like, you know, even if you factor in uh, location, you know, and cost of living and all that, like the, the equation gets so big, like how do you distill it down to a point where, okay, like it's accurate, <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, right. Like what are some what are some things as an example that uh, you guys have thought about like for that specifically maybe uh, where it's it's less so much of a, a as a problem uh, as you know like ha- have you found that certain things weigh more than others in your equation that people care about? Yeah, you know, I it's funny. So we were based in Madison, Wisconsin. We have uh, an interesting tech scene because it's pretty big, but it's like sort of. A lot of it is big companies with offices here. So we have like the biggest Zendesk office outside of their headquarters. We have a Google office that's always growing. We have Sony. We have Epic is the big healthcare software company. So you have, you have this dichotomy between like these big companies that pay their version of market. And then you have a ton of entrepreneurial tech companies which are going to pay very different. And then you have like consulting companies, which are going to pay different. And so, you know, someone will come in and be like, Oh, yeah, well, I looked it up on um, like Indeed, and I searched junior developer in Madison. And I'm like, great. And you probably saw a range from like, you know, 100 to 50. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. it really depends. Um, And so I think something that we stress a lot when we're doing hiring when we're, when we're in our job listings, when we're actually doing the hiring is one of the big things that we offer is um, an active role in the community and also uh, work-life balance. And what we mean by that is we've had multiple, multiple people come from Epic, which pays very, very well and works you very, very hard. And like, I have thoughts about Epic, but one good thing is it brings a lot of talented people to Madison. So they'll work at Epic for a few years, make a shit ton of money and get burned out. And they will be, they're like genuinely happy to take pay cuts to work at 10 forward because they only work 40 hours a week and they can take mental health days and no one's going to question that. And they can schedule their day how they want. And they don't have to commute all the way to Verona and that, you know, and so um, really that's, I think, I think part of it is figuring out what employees value most. And then part of it is figuring out what you as a company or as company owners, like what do you value most? And then building a company that can support that, that people will then self-select in as long as you're open about, these are what we view as the trade-offs for working here in terms of benefits and maybe, you know, uh, less beneficial things. Right. So, you know, we're, I think um, we're very open about the fact that... Oh, sorry, I was going to say we're open about the fact that, like, we can't pay the same type of salary that some other tech companies in Madison can. But we offer a lot of other things that they can't. And so it's just what is going to be best for you as an individual. Yeah. Now, I, I just wanted to add on to the the range... <laughs> uh, <laughs> discrepancies. Uh, I I think that portion of like transparency and salaries is like the worst thing that could possibly happen. Because uh, I know at companies my wife has worked for, uh, you know, that it'll be like fifty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars, and you're just like, well, for the same title, and you're kind oh. of just like, uh, well, how does that make any sense? You know, how bad for somebody who's making fifty thousand to go in and be like. Well, who's making two hundred thousand dollars, and why right. am I not getting anywhere near that? Right, like, right. And so, like, 
I feel like uh, maybe part of this is like titles are not accurately being mm-hmm. assessed, right? Uh, are made, which is also a part of the problem. But I think more so the range is uh, <laughs> being disclosed. If you have that big of a discrepancy, like I would just leave it out, right? Like, right. Yeah, I think our range yeah. is, I'd have to look at our document, but I want to say it's maybe 20K is the biggest difference between like biggest range amount mm-hmm. for any individual role. And I think also our roles, you know, we we do have in there a general years of experience, but it overlaps for all the ranges. So it's like one to three years, two to, you know, six years, four to eight or something like that, because you can't just go by year. That doesn't, that also doesn't necessarily mean anything. <laughs> oh, I've had that yeah. fight. Um, <laughs> I mean, one, one th- I, oh, go ahead, John. All I was going to say, continue on this, is I I honestly think that like one of the things that we really should be working as developers, as a general overarching society of developers thing, I think that one of the things we really, really should be spending time on and working on is deciding what we're going to call things, specifically our job titles. Because, you know, there are the, for example, we pointed out earlier, like senior developer means so many different things. And when you're, it, it doesn't, it affects salaries. It definitely causes issues when you're talking about salary ranges and things like this. But it also spills over into tons of other things that I that we do care about, which is like, hey, I'm hiring somebody. They come in, we bring, we hire them on as a senior developer. It turns out, oh, well, you know, they they just got that title at some company, right? And they're like really junior in it. Could they grow into it? Maybe yes. And I'm not saying anything against that. But but your expectations aren't necessarily matched, right? And or you, um you know, job hop to go get a title somewhere so that you can, you know, go get a job somewhere that makes a lot of money, right? Like, and you know what, I'm not going to like beat up on people that do this, but it's a flaw in our system that causes Mm -hmm. issues, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that as well as, you know, you talked earlier about like not having a clear path forward for people's careers, right? And not having like, titles that help people see the demarcations and their Mm -hmm. own personal growth through the careers, I think is something that like, I know that it affected me uh, personally, uh, Mm -hmm. made it hard for me to see what my future would be like. And I'm sure that I know that I've talked to other people that have had this problem. So I feel like it's got to be a common thing. That's a Um, huge one. Yeah. I mean, I was talking with someone at, um, I don't know, a conference like three or four years ago who worked for a British company. She was based in London and she was talking about the same issue, just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, I just started a new company and I have no idea how I get to the next level. There's, I asked my manager and they were like, uh, I don't actually know. It just happened. Well, they're probably uh, like, work harder. Right. If that's you know, your and answer I, and you're a manager, you have a problem. <laughs> right. But, but this is a, you know, <laughs> to, to John's point, it's a common problem. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and this is actually one of the things that's going to be in that new EU um, pay transparency directive is you have to have information about how to get to the next level for all the titles at your company, which is so brilliant. And everyone should do that. And like, so we did that at Tim Forward. And for a long time, we were primarily developers. And so it was easy. We just had one, <laughs> right? It was like, okay, here's how you get from junior to mid-level. Here's some mid-level to senior. Here's some senior to whatever. Um, as we've grown and taken on more developer adjacent roles, we're realizing that like that original document, it, we're trying to cram too many types of people into it. And so now mm-hmm. we're really trying to figure out, okay, do we make one for each type of role? Like, does admin assistant have their own document? 
Um, you know, or do we have like a non-technical doc, you know, non-technical role document? And we're, we're still figuring that out because again, it's, it's not easy. Um, but I think one thing we really tell people is that we don't want to, we don't want you to take a job here. We want to feel like you can grow your career here. Like we would rather, you know, and, and we're small and we're consulting. So we have the ability to be very flexible and letting people craft the kind of career that works for them. Um, and I think that's shown clearly by the fact that I started as an intern and seven years later, I'm still there and I'm an owner, right? Um, but you can't do that without some kind of document that clearly delineates this is what that growth looks like. And alongside that, we also added a couple years into salary transparency. At our company, we added a historical document. So it showed the for every person currently at the team, when they, you know, any promotion that they got, when that happened, how much it was, whether it was just financial promotion or whether it was a rank promotion, so that you can, if you come on as a new person, you know, as a junior, you can see like, oh, okay. So two of the seniors here, I can see how they went from junior to senior and about how long it was in between raises, how long it was in between promotions, how big did the raises tend to be? And we always tell people like, we don't prescribe any of that because we do want to be able to keep that flexibility. But this is a good guide to see like, this is actually something we practice, not just something we preach. This is what we've done at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. So I'm, I'm just going to ask a couple of things because... Uh, a lot of people are probably listening to this and trying to figure out how to take action. Um, one thing that um, if I can just kind of summarize some of the points that you've made or that Valentino or John have made or we, if we've all agreed on, um, <laughs> one of them is, is it seems like this, it facilitates communication and it helps people kind of understand what path they're on and what they need to do to move forward. And that's one of the big benefits. And then it seems like communication is kind of the key to this whole thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, my question is, is let's say that we have a company, you know, so we have somebody in a position to actually start moving the ball forward with this at the company they work at. Right. They own it. They, you know, upper management, something like that. Right. Uh, And they get buy in. How, How do they actually start? Like, how do they get going with this kind of transparency without stepping on any of the landmines that are out there? It's a great question. Um, and I definitely want to answer that. I also want to say, even if you're not in that position, because most of the people at RubyConf aren't, don't own their own companies, right? Um, that was my second question. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, great. Then we're on the same uh, page. I'll, I'll, I'll come to back to that. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Perfect. So if you are in a position to immediately affect change, um, I think getting buy-in from anyone who could have the potential to thwart it is really important to do beforehand. Right. So whether that, you know, maybe you have an HR team that's very self-protective and you anticipate they might have concerns. Talk to them first, right before doing anything. Um, I think doing, if, if you have any concerns, any concerns at all, that your pay, existing pay structure is not equitable, do an audit. Because it's so much better to be like, hey, we did an audit. We found out the QA team is grossly underpaid. They're all getting raises. There's a few other people who are underpaid. They're getting raises. Oh, and as part of this, we're going to move into salary transparency to prevent this from happening in the future. That is a much easier sell to folks. Oh, yeah. Than trying to correct those problems afterwards. Um, and we care and we're trying to make it better. That's, that's right. The exactly. Exactly. You know, because the whole, the, like you said, it's communication. So if you're communicating, hey, we suspected things weren't great. So we checked with data and they aren't. And now we're taking steps to make it better. That goes such a long way with building trust and credibility with your team. And then I think the other part is, you know, really stressing the why. Like, how is this better for you? Because a lot of times, 
there's a tendency, especially a bigger company, where you assume that if there's some initiative coming from the top, it's to better the company. It's not necessarily going to make your life better. Mm-hmm. So really stressing like, hey, obviously, there are benefits to us as a company, retention, hiring, whatever, um, avoiding lawsuits. <laughs> but this also is going to specifically help every employee in these ways and showing that you've kind of done that thinking ahead of time, which is where where I think we miss an opportunity was we just kind of thought, oh, this is a great idea. This is obviously a great idea. Everyone will think this is a great idea. You can't make that assumption. And like we did. And so really laying out, this is why we're doing it. These are the conversations we've had. These are the steps going forward. Giving people time to process is also really big because some people might have that sort of reactionary sense of like, I don't want my information being out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But then if they think about it for a little bit, talk to their coworkers who might be excited, people will kind of come around. and I think also deciding the level of detail that you want to share. So we're a really small company. There's like 10 of us. So we just share literal salaries for everyone because if you tried to do averages across roles, it would be kind of useless data. Yeah. Um, but at a bigger company, you know, you probably can get the same spirit with just doing, you know, developer twos in the cats department <laughs> on average make this much salary, right? Um, so I think really putting putting the time in ahead of time to make sure that the infrastructure is there to support the action and that you can feel confident in the numbers when they're released. Those are, I think, the two biggest things. Makes sense. Um, and, and yeah, it kind of all folds back into a lot of the stuff we already talked about. So yeah, the other question is, is let's say that you are seeing some issues that you think could be alleviated at the company you're at but you're, you know, just kind of rank and file developer, maybe your team leader, middle management, and you don't have the clout to make this happen, right? You can't just go in and say, hey, I need buy-in from these handful of people and I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you don't even know maybe if they'll listen to you. How, how do you make the case for this in a way that they'll actually think about it or hopefully think about it? Yeah, definitely. So it depends. The caveat is that there are a lot of actions you can take and which ones are right for you depend on the amount of privilege you have at the company. And I don't just mean white privilege or whatever. I mean, like, does your manager back you up and everything and have your ear? Um, Those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so possible actions you can take, you know, again, depending on all of that are, it's legal to talk about. So like, if you've got a company Slack, create a channel, just ask people if they're willing to add anonymously to a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, you could compile a presentation on it. If your company does any kind of like in-house learning, you could volunteer to do a brown bag on like, here's what I learned about salary transparency. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> you know, uh, you could look at what the current regulations are in your area and see if they're being enforced. And if they're not, that's a great way to get some traction, right? Oh, I noticed that like, technically, according to the new law that Colorado passed, we're supposed to be doing X, Y, Z, but I don't think we are. You know, are you concerned about that? And they'll be like, oh, yep, we have a plan. We're, yep, but that's in the works. Um, so there's there's a lot of things you can do. I think really like the... If there's enough employees who really want it and you can back that up with statistics for the industry at large, that's going to go a long ways towards making traction. Yeah, I still think it's a hard case to make just because, you know, Typically, they elevate the people whose opinions they really value. But yeah, if you can start having the conversations and, you know, raising awareness of it, it does go a long way and may bubble up in some of the conversations that matter in this kind of a decision. 
So I like I like where you're coming from there. Um, I don't know that there's anything else we really need to tackle um, on this topic unless we left something out. I was going to leave an open-ended uh, thought, uh, but I, I'm looking forward to the day where AI can just take over this whole negotiation. And, uh, you know, your company gives you the formula and you give it a formula and they just settle everything out and everybody knows that it's fair. I don't know that I would ever trust an algorithm written by people to be completely fair with no oversight. I was like, if you're giving it a formula, is it AI at that point? Well, you know, you give it the data sources. So like you, you say train the it. Gov- say the government gives out I'm you scared. Know, just salary saying. information. <laughs> yeah. We like yeah. everyone but Chuck. So when you're negotiating for him. Just just let it be based on the census, right? I mean, it's I definitely mean, complicated, which is why, which is why so many people are unhappy with it, right? So yeah. I think, yes. I think the key thing for me is like we can we can do n plus one better than we are now, but who knows how big n goes? Yeah, well, and that, I mean, that I, would, I think is the deal, right? Is you don't have to get it perfect, right? You can figure mm-hmm. out what the next right thing is. Mm-hmm. I think we're all agreeing right now that we should at least, you know, let's walk a step forward. Even if maybe I'm not excited about Valentina's 10th step in the list, I can at least take step one. I think we agree on step one. So let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about Watson telling me I should be a millionaire. So we'll just hold off. I mean, I mean, as long. Yeah, exactly. As long as the AI says that I should be the richest, then I'm fine with that. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I just uh, don't gonna... see it happening. Yeah. Well, I'm going to push us over to the next segment of the show. Now, this um, I'm, I'm adding a segment to the shows. <laughs> I've been doing this for like 12 years or six. No, I've been podcasting for 16 years and I'm <laughs> adding a new segment to the show. So how do you like that? Uh, so so we'll go around the horn on this. But uh, one of my co-hosts on one of the other shows said that he wished because I, I was doing self-promotional picks and, you know, there was stuff that he wanted to talk about. And so we'll really quickly, if there's anything that you want to mention that you're working on that you'd like to you know this is the self-promotion and then we'll do the picks which is the promotion promotion of other stuff so you know if, if you own a consultancy for example or you have a project you're working on you want people to know about um you know things like that then, then definitely share um i'm gonna have john go first uh well i was completely unprepared for this segment but sure i mean uh i own uh rock agile consulting you know rock agile llc whatever um and uh i have to talk to the people that are assisting me and doing marketing in order to know what to say other than you know (laughs) just a small consulting shop we do uh, a variety of things um uh anywhere from taking care of your really ancient old apps to helping you build new mobile apps so yep that's what we do hit me up um I will I will figure out what information I need to do for future, but yeah, uh, you can always, uh, you know, John. at RockAgile.io is probably the best way for now. Or RockAgile.io is our website. So, yep, good deal, Valentino. How about you? Uh, <laughs> I I work on this uh, command line tool called Git Reflow. Uh, and it saves me tons of time automating our entire uh, Git workflow and creating like Jira stories and 
transitioning things automatically uh, as I'm working and creating pull requests. Uh, I use it every single day. And uh, yeah, that's what I work on. And it makes my life just so much easier. So if you haven't heard of it, check it out. Awesome. All right. Uh, I'm going to throw out mine and then we'll let Hillary have the last word on this segment. Um, so I've started the uh, developer book club. Uh, you can join for $17 a month. We do a call every week. Right now we're reading Clean Architecture by Robert C. Martin, Uncle Bob. And uh, he actually came to the first one. Um, the one that was yesterday, he didn't make it to. But yeah, we're doing it through the end of uh, January. And then we're discussing what book we want to do next. Um, gotten a few requests for the domain-driven designs. So that might be where we go. It kind of depends on if I can get the author to come to them or not. But uh, that's that's one exciting thing. And then um, we're doing other weekly calls. So two other weekly calls if you want to sign up for Top End Devs membership. And we talk about building your personal brand, how to use tools, uh, salary negotiation, you know, might be a thing or, you know, maybe salary transparency. You know, maybe we'll have Hillary come and talk about some of it. But it's kind of a, a blend of like a presentation and a Q&A. And so we just, you know, you can chime in and ask a question whenever and we, we just talk through it. But we try and get experts to come in and, and be part of that conversation. So uh, that's that's what we're working on right now. And uh, I just raised prices. So, um, you know, come join in before I do it again, because I am planning on doing it again. Uh, Hillary, uh, what what kind of self-promotion do you want to do? Uh I guess I'll just do 10 forward since I've been mm -hmm. talking about them the whole time. So 10 forward consulting, we're named for the bar and the enterprise. If there are any Star Trek fans, mm -hmm. we're based in Madison, Wisconsin, and we're a Ruby Rails shop. We do custom web and mobile applications for everything from startups to global corporations. And we believe in creating inevitable success for our clients, our employees, and our communities. Good deal. Is there a website you can find? Uh, 10forward.consulting. All right. We'll make sure that goes into the show notes too. All right. Now we're going to do picks. John, do you have some picks? Um, yeah, I'm actually, um, I, I did this. I mean, we had two episodes, what, two weeks ago or whatever. And I was pretty excited by, uh, by my sweet new phone. And I am like even more excited. So I'm going, I'm going to pick it again one last time, but, uh, I got, I got the pixel seven pro and it's like freaking awesome. And, like it's uh it's the first time in a while that i've gotten a new phone that's actually like that i didn't feel like was slow basically like already like sort of behind and you know like the hardware just wasn't quite good enough or whatever so i, I don't know if that's just because i picked like the wrong gen of phones to buy or whatever but mm -hmm. like it's been a while since i picked like a phone and out of the gate i felt like oh my hardware is better than the software that's going on it right now um, so that's nice about it. And, uh, I definitely, I mean, I bought it knowing that I had a good camera. I'm definitely very, very pleased with the camera. It's actually legit. It's good camera. Nice. All right, Valentino, what are your picks? Uh, my first pick, uh, is an article on Doximity's blog. Uh, I work for Doximity and, uh, somebody from our data team wrote a great article on, how we design and structure all of our data platform and uh, teams and how that all works. And as a data-driven company, it's kind of great insight to uh, you know how it can be beneficial for your company too. Uh, 
you know, if you're measuring first, it's always more beneficial to everybody, uh, especially your end users and to know what to build. Uh, so I, I recommend checking that out. Uh, yeah, that's it. I'm still playing on my Galactic Unicorn. So uh, hopefully I'll have an article up soon with uh, using uh, Ruby on, on it. Uh, I'm getting closer. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to throw out a few picks. Uh, one of them, I usually pick a board game or a card game. Um, I'm going to pick one. I don't remember if I picked this one before, so I apologize if I haven't. But the game I'm picking is Antidote. Uh, it's a card game. Um, I think it initially came out on Kickstarter. Um, board Game Geek uh, has a weight on it of 1.6 something. Um, so it's a fairly easy game to pick up. It's not that complicated. Um, and effectively what you do is you pull one formula or poison out of the, the deck and you put it face down and then you pass out the rest and then you deal out. Um, you also get syringe cards, which are kind of like they allow you to steal cards from other players is effectively how they work. Um, and then you take turns, you deal out the rest of the cards and you're trying to get the highest number of the correct potions antidote. Right. And so you you typically have a card or two in your hand that tell you that, hey, you know, it's not the face down one because it's in my hand. And then you can either pass cards to the left to the right. You can trade cards with players. You decide what you do on your turn. Right. And so if if you pass to the left, everyone passes to the left, everyone passes to the right. Um, or you can discard. And when you're down to your last card, you reveal and you've either won or lost. It takes about 20 minutes with with five or six players. So it's a fun game. It's a thinking game, but it's not that complicated a thinking game. It's it's one of those games where it's like, yeah, the gameplay is really simple, but the strategy isn't always obvious. And so, yeah, and you're looking at what people are discarding or you use a syringe to steal a card that they discarded. Because if you discard a formula, you put it face down. Otherwise, you put it face up, right? So if it's an antidote, it's face up. And so you can see, oh, he's gotten rid of all of his you know, green circle vile cards. And so it's probably not that because he probably saw it. Right. And she's got, you know, she's kind of discarded one of everything. What's she holding on to? Right. And so use a syringe and steal her card. Maybe you got the right antidote anyway. So it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun and it's not so complicated that you can't play with kids, which is uh, more and more of a thing. Right. My youngest is seven. Um, my next youngest is 11. And so, yeah, occasionally we'll play games that she just can't quite pick up. Um, she can pick up enough to sit with us and help us. But, yeah, um, this is one that I don't think she'd get the I don't think she'd be able to win it. But I think she would enjoy playing it. So my seven year old. So anyway, the, that's my uh, game pick. And then, um, yeah, still digging the World Cup. Um, I haven't been able to uh, stay current with the semifinal game. So I don't know who's won them yet. Uh, but looking forward to watching that tonight. And then um, the local meetup here in Utah, the Ruby Users Group, they actually had a get-together last night. And so I, uh, my father-in-law called me up. And he's like, you want to go get dinner? Because yesterday was my birthday. Uh, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm hanging out with my Ruby people. So uh, anyway, we're, getting, we're starting to do get-togethers, and we're going to start streaming our meetups. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. I, I miss a lot of the people that I got to know through that um and if you're looking for meetups um i found the meetup.com so i'll pick that too is a great place to find them so i have something else coming along that'll help you find them too but that's 
for another day. Uh, Hillary, what are your picks? I'm going to say that my pick, so I think a lot of us uh, develop new hobbies over the pandemic. For me, it was plants. I became a little obsessed. Um, we also moved offices during the pandemic because they tore down our old building to build luxury condos. Anyway, so there's a plant app, like a plant management app that I use called Greg, G-R-E-G. And I like it so much that I have like a list of features I want them to add <laughs> that I'm going to email to them. <laughs> but it lets you put in every plant. It tells you when you need to water it and how much you need to water it. So when I go out of town, it's I can just screenshot it and send it to friends who are plant sitting for me. And it also, unfortunately, tells you how many plants you have. And I have 123 between work and home. <laughs> so... Wow. I have like five and they're dying. I've had some of them for years and I just lost track of watering them right. I was I was clapping in the background. My mic was muted. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, got, yeah, got really into plants. <laughs> Hillary lives with super clean air. <laughs> yeah, my partner actually told me, uh, well, they ask, but whenever I tell this story, they're like, oh, you make it sound like you have to get my permission for things. But I essentially have to get his permission before I bring home new plants. <laughs> Yeah, but it just followed me home. Um, <laughs> if if people want to follow you in particular online, Twitter, GitHub, LinkedIn, whatever, wh- where do they find you? Um, I mean, I'm on all of those. I I created a Mastodon at RubyConf Mini, but I haven't really started using it yet. But I'm on there, I believe, is Hillary SK. Okay. I think I'm in whatever the main Ruby one is. Ruby.social. Yes. Good deal. So clearly yeah. I've not been using it a lot yet, but that's <laughs> Yeah, make sure you it's easy to find though. All right. Well, thanks for coming and talking through this with us. I, I know this is a conversation that's happening in some places, and hopefully we got some folks some clarity here. And uh yeah, we'll wrap up. Till next time, Max out, everybody. <laughs>